Hello there. You're listening to Sasitup podcast by Sashwath and Oscar where you speak with startup founders, venture capitalists and some of the leading talents in the world. We listen to their personal journeys and share their stories that shape their world view. In this episode we will talk about killing your darlings and we have a fantastic guest today, Shemek Shustak, founder of Hempfoodie, co-founder of Changes and now product manager at Tidio, where he's making chatbots great again. So first of all, Pshemek, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for your time. How are you? Good to be here, and thanks for having me. I'm fine. I'm excited to talk to you guys and to share what I've learned down the road. So to start off today's episode, can you tell us more about your personal journey and your story so far? Sure. So basically, as you probably noticed on my LinkedIn profile, I'm obsessed with learnings. So I discovered lots of interesting things down the road. I started my journey in one of Rocket Internet venture, uh, which was a food panda that was like an intermediary in uh, food delivery. But it was back in 2015. It was early stage for such companies. Then I created my own company, the first hemp food brand in Poland, which was pretty amazing journey because I was at the beginning of my studies. That was my first initiative. And later on, I tried many different things, even organizing. I tried even video production. I was like a co-producer working for a web summit in Hong Kong and New Orleans, which was pretty exciting because I had the chance to meet lots of very inspiring, top-notch people. And then I decided to run my new company, which was focused around blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And then a very interesting company started looking for a guy who doesn't know anything about NIT, but knows how to manage the business. So I started working for, I think that one of the biggest or maybe even the biggest venture builder in Poland, which is Daftcode where I was launching new ventures and then I was testing different proof of concepts and MVPs before they were launched to the whole world, actually. And after that, I joined Tidio as a product manager where I am accountable for chatbot development, which is exciting because it's a huge product with a huge audience. It's around 400 million unique users monthly that see our widgets. So it's like almost 5% of the whole global population that interacts with the product. What would you say, what are the learnings you gathered as a founder while building your own company that you can now use at TDO? I think that there are two areas where I've learned the most. There's the human side and the business or even the product one. And the human side is actually so simple and so predictable in terms of making mistakes. And I can sum up it in three main takeaways. Firstly, micromanagement sucks. So you should just hire better people than you and trust them. Secondly, you can do everything on your own. So you should ask for help if you need one. And this is something what people usually are afraid to do. And last, building companies or building products at the end of the day is about relationships. If you really want to build teams that do the best work of their lives, then you have to build like a solid foundation based on the trust. Because this kind of approach creates environment where people love their work and colleagues. And unfortunately, it's very easy to mess it up. 
And from the product or business side, at the very beginning, I believed that it's easy to build a fantastic product, but it occurred that it's very, very difficult to build a product that people need, the kind of product they can't live without. And the sad truth is that the best product doesn't always win because people don't buy products, they buy solutions. So the whole industry should focus more on building solutions rather than products or features. Uh, because when you provide solution, then at the end of the day, they will always come. And it's really easy to just fall into the building trap. And last thing, and this is the most difficult part, that you have to learn to kill your darlings. Because in my opinion, especially nowadays, it's super easy to start an initiative, but figuring out that something doesn't work and you have to finish it, it's tough and it requires courage. I think that's super interesting. And that's one of the main problems. You have like a darling, you're working on your product and you really want to push it. But when is the right time to say, okay, this is not the right approach we're having? When can I say, okay, I know I have to shift it right now. When is it too early? When is it too late? How can I find the right timing here? This is a tricky question. And I think that there's no such thing as the right time to pivot or even the right time to rethink an MVP. Uh, I'm a lawyer from the educational point of view, so I will say it depends. But Einstein once said that insanity is doing same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So when MVP does not work or simply its hypotheses are not valid and probably this happens more often than not, then you should probably rethink and pivot to plan B. And I think that if you notice things like maybe you stopped growing or profits are declining or maybe even customers are leaving you, this is a good time to start thinking about some kind of the pivot. How is the tech scene in Poland? A long time back, I landed in Dainsk and then I traveled to Gdynia and Sopot as well, which is like one of the tech hubs as well. Like you have Poznan's, Broklo, as well as the obvious ones, Warsaw and Krakow. So how is the tech scene in Poland? I mean, why are there so many tech folks coming out of Poland for the last five to 10 years? I mean, is it really something different is happening over there? The tech scene is booming in Poland nowadays, especially last two or three years. If we would look at VC fundings into tech startups, then it looks like a Bitcoin chart today. So there's a huge, huge pump in, in Polish companies because I think that finally they starting thinking globally. They are not afraid to build and scale products worldwide. And this triggers other founders, other companies to build something that has a scale and that can help people around the world. You mentioned about your LinkedIn post. So we were just looking into it. You said growth wins, not at all costs, only the authentic growth built on a solid foundation of retention and engagement would. But what is your approach of enabling growth? My approach of enabling growth, it's based on focusing on 
what is important in this very particular moment and understanding what this growth investments to make right way, maybe which can wait a little bit and the most important part which I should avoid altogether. And there's a cool idea actually introduced on the Reforge blog uh, that triggers to think about the business like uh, a high performance race car, like the same components that help a car drive faster are also the components of the growth model. And these are just four things, but very interesting. So there's a growth engine that drives most of the growth. There are turbo boosts that accelerate growth, but only temporarily, they don't last. There are also lubricants, which are kind of optimizations that make this whole growth engine run more efficiently. And there's the fuel, which is the most important because this is the input that the engine requires to run. And I think that this understanding of all elements, growth engines, lubricants, turbo boost and fuel can help avoiding like common pitfalls of growth and focusing on important elements in the particular situation can enable the growth. That's a nice analogy that you gave. Uh, what according to you would be a fuel for, for your company or your product? Is it venture funding? Is cash is the fuel or what is the fuel? The fuel, these are definitely visitors of our customers that have problems. Because thanks to, to Tidio, they can solve their problems easily, like tracking packages, e-commerce refunds, etc. It's all about the communication. So it's not about the money. It's not about the VCs. It's about serving people. This is the fuel. You've been working at Daft Code, where you were launching, testing and pivoting different product proof of concepts and MVPs. What I would like to know, how do you evaluate if a new idea is worth testing? We have to remember that all ideas differ and it's not worth applying a single process or just one measure of success or even the strategy to all of them. But there are common things we can consider. So when I evaluate if an idea is worth testing, I think about four problems. It's introduced by, I don't remember the name, but I think she's a VP uh, of Hotjar. And I think about the problem, reach, impact and evidence. And this impact can be the business, can be customer, it can be even the personal one. So looking at those four pieces helps in evaluating an idea on just one piece of paper. And if I'm not able to write it down on one piece of paper, then probably it's not even worth testing. So when I think about the problem impact, like reach and evidences, sometimes I also think about the cost of inaction. I have to think what will happen if I won't address this idea. It just helps uh, setting up priorities and deciding if it's worth, you know, just simply digging more into it. A lot goes with the right metrics to track, especially for SaaS companies or startups. Metrics are very important. So how can one uh, pivot from being data obsessed to being data informed? This is very interesting. I was talking with, with a friend a few days ago. And what I found is that pivoting from being data obsessed to being data informed is like pivoting from being on a diet to healthy eating because it's about the attitude and the approach. 
being on a diet or being data obsessed is, in my opinion, totally fine, but in short-term perspective, and probably it will work and probably it will help achieving all goals. But I don't believe that this applies in long-term perspective because you just sometimes deserve to eat a donut and sometimes you simply should to listen your feelings and intuition. So I think that being data informed is an escape from data addiction, which nowadays everyone talks about data. So it's escaping from data addiction, but still relying on all these quantitative, qualitative evidence. It's about making decisions based on both data and intuition. And if you truly believe in something and you have a data to support it, then go for it. Don't hesitate. But if you believe in something and you don't have a data to prove it, you always can make a risk if it's worth. I think that that's what being data informed is all about. Have you taken some similar risks as well, where you did not have the data, but you had an intuition and you took a risk? Every week. Every week I, I have to I have to do this. Actually, I fall in trap into being too data obsessed. And when I made a retrospective of this approach, I found that I'm not actually speeding up uh, the growth. I'm slowing it down because sometimes you have to find this courage to make a big bet and to believe that it's gonna work. Of course, these are not bets that change, you know, like the whole trajectory of, of the business. These are small bets from technical point of view, but with a huge potential impact on, on the business and customers. We just talked about it with metrics comes a lot of experimenting. So what I would like to know, what kind of atmosphere does a company need to successfully implement this testing, this experimenting mindset? I think that if a company really want to implement this experiment mindset, it definitely has to implement some kind of sometimes you win, sometimes you learn approach. Because what we all have to keep in mind is that when we experiment, both negative and positive results are good until you learn from them. So I think that it requires actually even the courage, especially from executives to implement this. And the funny part of this is that in schools, we are taught that we move forward if we succeed on exams. But I think that schools forget that that's not how the real world works. And sometimes we can fail and we can learn and then we move forward and then we never make the same mistake again. As a closing remark, uh, Samek, what were some of the books that really inspired you in your journey? If you could name some product books as well, that would be really helpful for our audience. I can think of two, two connected with my two tattoos. So the first one is definitely On the Road, written by Jack Kurak. But it's not about the business. It's more about the life, the journey, dreams, people, love, relationships, and the road, as, as the title suggests, because everyone has his own road. So this novel is definitely something that I can recommend to read. The most important business book that somehow shaped my career life, I would say, Fueled by Failure. And this book is written by a pretty cool guy, Jeremy Bloom. He was uh, an Olympian, a skier, uh, a former NFL player. After that, he jumped into the business. And in this book, he's sharing very interesting insights about tackling defeats 
and using them simply to drive, not derail the success. And this is something what I apply in my day-to-day -day work in terms of everything we do with, with the team. We learn, we don't fail, we keep moving forward. Cemek, again, thank you so much for your insights and your thoughts. It was great talking to you and thank you very much. Perfect, thanks.